Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, it's about to get interesting. Dr. Dwayne Varan from Media Science has completed some new research which fundamentally challenges the notion that audience numbers on any given platform or channel is as important as the industry assumes today that it is. We're talking about the usefulness of platform audience reach, or in other words, cost-effective reach. Think Premium Digital and Media Science has crunched some interesting data which sounds just a little bit crazy. In an average hour of video consumption, premium video, that's essentially broadcaster and publisher video, generates five minutes of advertising attention, which is 2.6 times that of YouTube, which is 1.54 minutes, and wait for it, 25 times more than Facebook or Instagram video at a whopping 12 seconds of ad attention per hour. So what does all this mean? Does it matter? And will the market accept the research? With me today to tackle such lofty questions is Mediacom's client partner, Lindsay Mogridge, ex-Westpac media boss and Foxtel Media's director of client engagement, Toby Dewar, Dr. Dwayne Varan from Media Science, of course, and Think Premium Digital's infamous general manager, Vanessa Hunt. Now, welcome to you all. Vanessa Hunt, to you first. You're the celebrity here. Uh, let's flip the sequence on this one, shall we? Um, before we talk to Dwayne on the research findings, set the scene here. What's the problem, or what's your problem anyway, Vanessa, with, the, with platform audience reach numbers and why does this research matter? And welcome. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me and welcome to everybody else too. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. I fundamentally, I'm better, I'm better known in the industry for my role as the Chief Digital Officer Agency side and also my Head of Mobile Roles over the many, many years as uh, and publisher side. Um, and so though today I sit as the General Manager of an industry body, there's a lot of experience sitting behind that with media planning and how media is bought and sold with inside the industry. D- digital media particularly, right, Yes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I can't say that I'm very good at TV buying. That is a very good pick-up or Thank you. I'm sure that would become there's no surprise to anybody else. My fundamental gripe is often when we're using or we're looking at uh, planning information or or, uh, the statistics that go into planning in agency side, at agency side, we look at the platform reach or the audience reach to be able to determine the right investment levels to different partners. And whilst advertisers care about the audiences that are on those platforms, they're actually buying the advertising or the opportunity of advertising. They're not buying the total platform reach. And so we looked around the industry for a way to be able to classify the difference between those uh, the advertising reach and a platform and platform reach, and we couldn't find any. Um, and so what we wanted to do was start the conversation with the industry around what are the difference between those two things, try and quantify them to make it easier for agencies and clients to understand, and then give some benchmarking so that people can actually have some hard statistics, independent and hard statistics, to be able to know the difference between those two things. So when we are planning to spend or to invest in media, that we're planning with the right information to start with, right information in, right information out, in comparison to using, you know, total platform levels as a proxy to um, advertising. So just to be clear, that that is, that is, you know, platform reach is essentially the gross number that most 
uh, buyers and advertisers will start with in their planning process, right? This is why it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And often from a sales perspective, a lot of platforms will use that as their sales pitch. You know, a certain amount of people are on my platform over in any given day or any given week or month, and they're spending a certain amount of time on the platform, you know, and that's used to to plug into where those media investment dollars are spent. Um, instead of actually saying how much advertising is on my platform and how much time are uh, consumers spending with the advertising that's on the platform, because that's what advertisers are actually buying. They're not buying the fact that, you know, 75 people are on social media. They're buying the fact that their ad is exposed to those people. And so we should be using the right information in the first place to look at who's exposed to the advertising rather and, and eventually paying attention to that, which I'm sure we'll get into. But, um, but instead of looking at just who's on the platform, because somebody on the platform doesn't mean that they saw an ad. So, Dwayne, to Vanessa's point, this is the issue, right, is that um, what people, how many people are on a platform consuming content, whatever content that looks like, versus their, the, their exposure to advertising volumes. This is, this is where the problem lands. Uh, give us the top line on your, on your research, Dwayne, and, and what the numbers are telling us and uh, what the implications might be too. And we'll, we'll talk to um, Lindsay and Toby uh, about the implications here too. But, but welcome, Dwayne. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Paul. So th- that's right. As, as Ness said, what we're trying to go beyond is we're trying to go beyond just a platform number. Um, we're trying to see whether ads actually uh, play on people's devices. So we'll call that opportunity to see. And whether people actually give at least visual attention. I mean, there are other forms of attention as well, but we're looking here at visual attention. So do people actually see the ad when the ad plays on the device? Um, the way we did the experiment is we had 350 people come to our lab in Perth, and we had them um, basically engage in very natural behavior. You know, for premium video, that might be going on BVOD, looking on sites, um, spending time there, or on Instagram, on Facebook, um, you know, just very naturally engaging in behavior that they would engage in. And then after the fact, we looked through their experience. Um, to see how much time they spent actually seeing an ad. In other words, did the ad actually play? Um, you know, you might be in, in Facebook, for example, and you might scroll past an ad. Um, so the ad won't even play. Even though the ad is there, the video ad won't play. Or it might start to play, and you might continue scrolling past it. Um, so we're looking at whether the ad actually plays on the device. And then if it plays, how much time do people spend actually looking at the ad? Um, you know, for premium, for BVOD, for example, they might look at their phone, or if they're on uh, Facebook, they might look uh, off screen, or, you know, we're, we're basically looking at the visual attention as well. So that's the background. And, and what we found was that in terms of the opportunity to see, you know, on, uh, on, for premium video, that's, that equates to about six minutes an hour. For something like Facebook and Instagram, that's going down to about 23 seconds per hour. So basically, um, you know, the, the issue there is that a lot of people are not actually seeing, are not even allowing the videos to play um, basically in those, in those particular social media spheres. And then when you kind of like uh, look at the added element of attention, what you see is that for premium video, about 82% of the content actually gets visual attention. That's down to about only 50% for say uh, Facebook and Instagram. So when you then look at that in terms of the average hour, you end up with about, as you were saying at the intro, about five minutes 
uh, per hour for uh, premium video, but only about 12 seconds for, uh, for uh, social media. And if you then model that out in terms of what it would take to get, say, your average minute of attention to videos in the platform, that means that for premium video, you would need about 12 minutes of content. But for, for uh, Facebook and Instagram, you'd end up needing five hours <laughs> to get one minute of effective exposure. So just be clear here, Dwayne, um, on, on Facebook and Instagram, an individual, a user has got to spend five hours on the platform to get how, many, uh, how much exposure in terms of advertising minutes? Of effective exposure, meaning the video plays, they see the video, uh, they pay attention to the video, visually at least, um, to get one minute. And this is a, not for one advertiser, this is across advertisers, but to get a total of one minute of effective ad exposure, you'd need five hours of, of content exposure on those platforms. What do you think this means, Dwayne? Um, uh, what implications does, does this, does this um, data carry for the market and marketers? Well, I think the most important principle at this stage is really just the idea that there is a lot of variability in that data. Um, you know, what it's really highlighting is that platform data alone is really insufficient, that the platform data is not, you know, you can't assume that all exposures are equal. The exposures differ by platform. And even if we don't have precise data, you know, currency level data about how that's playing out, we can still model and get an estimate of the kinds of exposures that the different platforms are providing. And that should inform our, our decisions ultimately. Lindsay Mogridge, um, you're the Lone Ranger here on the buy side. Um, what do you make of these findings and, and will, it, will the market shift, I guess, the way it plans and buys? Does it need to? And, and, and do, you buy this, do you buy this research from the, your esteemed colleagues? I definitely expect some knee-jerk reactions. So thank you very much, Dwayne and Ness, for all the phone calls that I got after this was released. It was a lovely time for me, um, mostly in the realm of how quickly can I move my budget out of social, which I think became probably the predominant conversation that I had. Was that with, with clients, you mean, Lindsay? That's what the clients are asking? Yeah, right. we, we actually, I, w- I was lucky enough to see um, the research when it was first released to iMedia sitting next to a client. So definitely one of the first things that, uh, that, they, that they had in terms of conversation with me. But I think that this is a really good time, especially for um, someone like me sitting kind of client leadership position on the media side to um, be able to have those conversations with your clients, really take them through the journey of, of where we are with attention metrics, which is still really early stages. I think marketers especially are extremely happy that the industry is listening to them and they're, they want to react and want to implement a lot of these um, findings. But I think our job as, as media um, experts is really to be able to understand and teach them how to apply this. But I think overall, I'm super excited for the way that um, the market is going in terms of looking at attention. Um, it's a hell of a lot better than measuring a click, that's for sure. So I think this is something that at the end of the day, the main conversation that I'm having um, with my clients is sales is a KPI. Right, that's the key thing that I'm that I'm talking to them about. Not necessarily reach or CPM. That is ultimately what we're here to do for them. So, how many clients can we link that to? It's actually a really, really small pool of people. So, attention is a really good metric for us because it has that strong correlation to sales, and it gives us a better overall picture of what we can expect our media dollars to be able to do for us. So, 
when it comes to planning, absolutely yes. I definitely think we should be um, shifting the way that we plan our media to be able to include these metrics. I think the barrier here is there is no industry standard. We have brilliant planners. You know, I have one that works with me here at Mediacom um, who has built his own bespoke tool um, that inputs a lot of the, these data findings and we use them and apply them to all of our clients' kind of planning approach. Um, but from a buying perspective, you know, I really enjoy the way that Amplified Intelligence defines attention between passive, inactive, and active attention. So I think with that lens, I, I think it's really, really hard and it's going to be a big challenge to benchmark and cost out attention um, as a buying metric. And I don't necessarily see the industry getting to that specific point in the near future. Well, we're going to circle around on that one because that is that is discussion du jour uh, around course pricing. Surprise, surprise. But Toby Dewar, uh, from a media owner's perspective and in a past life uh, at Westpac, is any of this data important? Did any of it surprise you? And, and, and you know, should things change? Yeah, uh, thanks, Paul. There's no doubt, and unfortunately, Duane took my line, which was the not all screens are created equal line. And I think that plays out in this research. And it should be a moment where we stop and discuss and think about the role of channel when it comes to understanding what the message is or what the objective is. So from my experience, whether it's selling home loans or hamburgers or telephones, but the, more importantly, the discussions we're having right now with our clients, they're grappling with how they can find the balance of optimizing against brand, how they can drive a return to their market share in their business in the current environment. So therefore the role of channel and making sure you can place that message in the best possible moment to get the best possible outcome is absolutely conversations that we're having with our clients at the moment. And that hasn't changed to what I did in my previous roles. So I echo what Ness said before, this is a moment where we haven't had the data, we haven't had the understanding of how, how significant the difference is. So to your question, Paul, it didn't surprise me in conversations that I've had with, with brands and clients who have seen the research, there's a level of intuition that this data talks to, whether you're a consumer or an advertiser, it just makes a bit of sense in terms of screen size and so forth. But the difference, is, 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 is the discussion point. And therefore the understanding of how you build a plan, how you rebuild a brand, and how you place your investment in those different channels, working with people like Lindsay, I think is the really exciting moment of this research to just get better at what we do. And, and I think that echoes whether I sit in this side or a client, that's what we're here to do at the end of the day. Toby, there must be some, you know, or maybe not, but I would imagine there would be a slight squirming in your seat when you saw these numbers because obviously you're in, in television and, and in BVOD and digital video and, you know, broadcasters like, like a lot of other media owners are big on talking their audience, their gross audience numbers up. So, you know, does it, does it are you comfortable? How are you feeling right now, Toby? I'm feeling good. Thanks for checking in, uh, Paul. But now, look, our, our premise at, at Foxtel, when you break it down into the environments that we sell, you know, we're less about the large scale, although it's there. But nonetheless, it's more about if you're buying into environments, whether it's lifestyle or sport, comedy or drama, they're ultimately about environments where the moments count. Right, so even if that's 50,000 people watching Selling Houses Australia, the context of that, the attention in that environment and the value for brands, very targeted, I think is of immense value. Now, when you stack them all up across 
the variety of genres and platforms we have with KO and so forth, you get to the scale point. That, that, I'm cool with that part of the equation, Paul, but I do believe that when you break it down and you start to be a bit more forensic in the placement of your ads and you factor in clutter, you factor in opportunity to see, and you start to build a plan around that, arguably you start to minimize wastage, you start to manage frequency and you get better buy. So we are doubling down in this research because it talks to the, the old tradition, which is context matters. And if you can land those spots when people are most attentive, it works harder. So for us, we, we were fully behind the notion of this research. Vanessa, I, I, I don't imagine you've been quiet with this with this data in the market. I'm sure you've been having lots of conversations. And I, I'm just interested, when you're having these conversations in the market um, outside of Lindsay, for instance, on the buy side and even advertisers, um, what response do you get? And is there and is there resistance? What does that look like, the resistance? I think there is sort of two different schools of thoughts. And whether this is, you know, with Inside Mediacom or any particular agency group, um, clients are individually very different. So it's not about an agency approach. It's not about a holding group approach. It's actually at a, at, a, at a client level and how they're approaching and what they're using digital media for. Um, so historically, there's a lot of clients that would build their brands in offline environments and then they would move their dollars into digital environments for performance. Um, and so they were looking for, you know, we used to, in the old days, we'd call it spray and pray. So you just kind of, you know, get the cheapest CPM you possibly could anywhere in the hope that some of that would end up with a, a transaction or some of it would end up with, you know, to, to Lindsay's point before a click, um, you know, and that's fundamentally changed um, to the fact that people, consumers are actually interacting with brands, uh, sometimes first, sometimes primary in a digital environment. And if you continue to ask just for the performance part in that area, you haven't built a brand, you haven't kind of earned the right to be able to ask for that, um, that transaction. And so the reason that it's different for each client is because they're at such different parts um, of the, I hate the word use, using the word journey, but I'm going to use it, the word, you know, the, at different parts of their journey in building brands in a digital environment. And therefore, every single time that they put something on the plan, it could be on the plan for a different reason. So, you know, you know, some clients might still be what I refer to as old school and they're, you know, they're building their brands in linear environments or offline environments and they're moving their performance dollars into digital. We have incredibly pro progressive brands that absolutely understand that digital can be built, um, that brands, sorry, can be built in a digital environment and therefore are at the forefront and using these quality metrics. So. Um, very, very, a lot of, um, to Dwayne's point, a lot of variability in that data too, um, because everybody's at a different place. Um, the one thing I would say that is resoundingly true um, and probably more to echo Lindsay is the conversations are in a much better place than they were a few years ago. You know, I've been talking a long time around the difference between, you know, quality over quantity. You have. I'll give you that. A long time. Yeah. We've got to stop thinking that all impressions are equal or that all video is equal. In this, in this case, you know, it's all, you know, impressions as far as time is spent and, and what we're actually buying or it might be not all reach is equal. And I think, you know, we don't put all... Uh, in other channels, we don't put them all together and assume that we're buying them all the same. And somehow in digital, we stick everything together and we look at the lowest common denominator. And then we assume that everything that happens in a digital environment is the same. And it's just not. It's fundamentally not. Not from a consumer's perspective, not from the platform's perspective, not from the ad format, not from any of it. And somehow we are assuming that we can get to some pretty report at some point in time that says, hey, look, they're all the same. And here's my, you know, whether that's an effective CPM or whether that's, you know, 
know, in the old days, a click-through rate. Yeah, well, look, it's a good analogy when you talk about how digital is seen as ubiquitous in terms of its um, impressions and ad impact. But to your point, or um, different environments are, but to your point, I think you said it earlier, um, the market's quite happy to accept that, you know, there's there's a big screen out of home, there is a day part in radio, there's drive, there's morning, there is television parts, but digital is ubiquitous. That's sort of essentially what you're saying, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's not only the current risk of those individual channels. So we do know that an out-of-home poster is different in its location, you know, on the main street versus a, a back road or whether, you know, a, a daytime movie versus a primetime show. And we are, from a client side and an agency side, as an industry, we're willing to plan and buy them in different ways. Um, what becomes more of a risk, and I think maybe a flag to the rest of the industry, is what happens when everything becomes digital? And this is the conversation we need to start now in understanding that when out of home becomes digital or television becomes digital or audio or radio becomes audio or whatever that looks like. If we have this same mentality that all digital is equal and we take that into that environment, we will commoditize all the smarts and the logic that happens with media planning and buying. You know, if we can't do it now when we have fairly, um, you know, environments at least that we can separate and compare, you know, whether that be video on display and things like that or whether that be long-form video or pre-roll versus, you know, in-feed or whatever that might be. If we're not even doing it now, I can't imagine what that's going to look like in five years from now if we don't start having the conversation. No, it's a great point. And I have a – given we're talking about burning platforms, I have a burning question which I'm going to elevate uh, now, which is um, essentially – we'll start with Dwayne and Lindsay on this. If Facebook's advertising attention is just 12 seconds per hour per user based on um, on Dwayne's research, why would an advertiser use it? Something's got to be working there. Uh, there is money pouring into Facebook and Instagram, as we know. So what is working and why do we have this disconnect? Dwayne, maybe start with you. Well, I, I want to clarify, just a quick clarification on that, Paul. Sure. Remember, this research is about video ads. Yes, Video ads are only one format, um, and it's not the majority format in in Facebook or Instagram. Um, You know, most ads are in in Facebook, for example, are display ads, which are in feed. And and the way that you experience a a display ad uh, in that in that environment is very different. I I mean, I'm using the word display, but basically, uh, you know, to describe the idea that you have like a static image that you're seeing in feed. And you're passing through it, you know, like you're, you're, you may have a few seconds or less of exposure, but we've demonstrated in other work that we've done that even at half a second of exposure, that is actually sufficient for an ad to start registering an effect. So what you're seeing is you're seeing lots of very shallow impressions, you know, that, that have a cumulative effect, or in some cases, you may actually spend time a little bit longer with it, but again, in that, in that kind of static environment, you know, or slightly animated, let's say not a video, but you might have a little bit of moving text or something like that. That's a format that's very well suited to that particular platform. Um, but video ads are not well suited to the platform. You know, people have to choose in some way to see it. Again, they, it's very easy to avoid the ad. You can scroll it. Even, even if it were to autoplay, you could just scroll right past it. Um, you know, there's and, and, and this is really what we see in the user behavior that we see in the study. You know, the other thing also, Paul, is that there's a difference in terms of, you know, what video is really good at is building brand equity, you know, having a story that it's telling. 
what what those kind of static ads do is they're very good at, at particularly at reminding you. So we've demonstrated in work that we did for Comcast in the United States, we used fictitious brands in that research, brands that didn't even exist. And we either exposed them or didn't expose them to TV ads for those fictitious brands that we, we created. So they either got an exposure, say, to a sneaker ad, a fictitious sneaker brand, um, before seeing Facebook or you know, not having seen the fictitious brand, but just getting more, for example, exposure. And, and what we were able to demonstrate was that that brand equity actually translated to significantly higher response on the Facebook platform. And it's because what the ad is doing is it's reminding you, it's shorthand, you know. Uh, you, you don't have to see the whole ad in a way. You see an image, an icon, something like that. You're playing a story back in your head that's kind of like recorded there because you saw a TV ad, for example, and it's playing it back. So, so it's not a condemnation. I mean, this research is not a condemnation on Facebook and Instagram as ad platforms. It's just saying that for video ads in particular, they're not particularly well suited. And, and even there, we're not really trying to draw a focus on that. We're just trying to demonstrate that there's a lot of variability. The variability, right. But to be fair, Dwayne, and to the rest of the panel, um, video ads is the cash cow for the market. And, you know, Facebook has spent a lot of uh, time and effort uh, looking to lure advertisers to be an alternative to broadcast and BVOD and publisher digital video. So video is a, is, a, is a boom area. And if video ain't working uh, for Facebook, um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued as to what advertisers do. And I might ask that of Lindsay. Um, so circle back around to the original question. I just went off on a, you know, up a creek then, Lindsay. Sorry about that. But um, essentially, uh, if Facebook advertising is so, attention is so low, uh, why are advertising using it? And your advertisers will be using it, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And How much of it? What are they spending on it? What are you spending on Facebook? Oh, that you are not getting out of me. Oh. Not, not at all. Really? Not at all. So can I have a <laughs> – you know what? Why don't we have a try? Go on EQX and you can find out. Okay. Damn. And it, for, for me, I'm going to sound like a broken record. It really comes back to um, our main objectives of driving sales or revenue uplift. You know, there are definitely studies within a lot of the Facebook platforms, you know, on video static, you know, a lot of different formats that there is a capability of those formats to drive uplift. So, but I obviously those are not specific to my clients or my specific campaigns. So I think when we're looking at, you know, taking those re that research, the research around attention, um, kind of sits in the middle of buying that impression and then the actual conversion that I'm trying to hit to ultimately drive that sales goal. So when we think about the way, again, that the market defines attention in those three different ways, um, they all have a connection to drive sales uplift, but it just depends on the objectives that you're trying to achieve and the maturity of your branded market. As Dwayne said, there's definitely a role for all the formats in terms of what your brief is trying to achieve, you just need to make sure that you're picking the right one depending on the factors that you're working with with your brand and the brief that you're currently looking at. Give me an example of an objective that would work then on video for Facebook then, Lindsay. If you say objectives, um, it depends on the objective. What does that look like? And I don't need a specific, you don't need to name names, but a scenario. I'm not going to talk to one specific campaign, but I mean, we've got many different ones that we've run that definitely have results of success, especially when it comes to video. But I think to Toby's point, um, some of the, the ones that have shown the best success are the ones where the context is 
what's driving um, the ultimate results for us. So making sure that your audience targeting is there, the environment's right, the location's right. Um, I think that's all really, really important in terms of being able to make sure that you're ultimately using the video creative as an awareness objective towards success. But I think what makes it really critical is creative. Creative is absolutely critical in terms of driving that capability to drive high attention and also add recall. Yeah, I think Lindsay raises a great point on creative. I mean, if you were to say to me, Paul, all right, well, you have a client who insists on doing video. How should they do video on Facebook? My response would be I would do it as a two-step process where I would think about an ad that was sufficiently enticing as a static ad to click to go to the video ad. So don't assume that you're gonna get the video exposure, but you'd be thinking about doing something to kind of like pull them into the video exposure because I just don't think that you can, I don't think that you can take it for granted that you're gonna get that exposure. Toby, um, with the with this notion that what Dwayne says is that you know some ad formats work on the socials and it looks like we're picking on Facebook, we're not, but it's just it's got the biggest difference here. But video has been something that um, you know those platforms, those tech platforms, have been really powering into and you know trying to cut your lunch, if you like, in 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 television and broadcast. What do you make of the video? What Dwayne's talking about in terms of video formats, and do you think there's a little bit of hope there for your own business then, if 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 it's not working that well on Facebook? Yeah, that absolutely is, and there's certainly I, I agree with the the premise that Dwayne mentioned before about the use of brand codes, right? So whether it's an arch or a Westpac chopper, a flying kangaroo, I think that's where it can work really hard in that environment from a video perspective because it has those cues of reminding. But I would say if you're a, a new brand or you've got a a need to move the market quickly or introduce a new proposition, then you need the time and the level of engagement to decode that and land that. So I think in that situation, for us to look at new platform advertising, to look at brands who have maybe not used Foxtel or, or BVOD and so forth in the past, I think that is interesting, the research, as in allows us to perhaps have a conversation with the agency, with the client, to better understand the objective, which Lindsay will talk to in a moment, but to also put forward a case that we're going to deliver a better outcome. So I think I think that, that that's an important part. But it also, you know, it makes a theme in the last month, Paul, as you know, around you know, video and, and BVOD is this is a moment for us to, you know, make sure the environments are right, make sure the accountability is right, make sure the measurement's right. And in a moment, we'll talk to the, you know, that sort of closing the loop and accountability, I'm sure. But you know, this is a, a moment where we have the opportunity to sort of strike back at the empire um, and to gain some share, but we need to be, be match fit for that. And we need to make sure that we've got the experience ready and as best as it possibly can be to offset, um, you know, those sort of uh, bits of feedback, let's call it, and, 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 and concerns that the market's expressed in our own backyard before. So. I think this is a good chance for us to compete against the likes of Facebook video in particular, but to also reinforce our own strengths as well. Imagine what imagine what those numbers will look like, Toby, when the platforms are even better. <laughs> this is the opportunity. We'll be talking, we'll be talking about a 50 to 1. Yes, well, I won't, get, I won't let you get too carried away with yourself over there, um, Vanessa Hunt, but it does sound, does sound tantalising. Dwayne, should Facebook video advertising still be used by some brands in some uh, instances then? Well, if I were on the client side, it's not how I would look at it. 
I, I mean, I think seeing results like this would sufficiently alarm me where I, I would be thinking about using Facebook in other ways. Like, like again, like I said, I'd, I'd be putting in static ads in there. I, I, I definitely would not be walking away from Facebook. I think there's a lot it can do. But if I was looking for a platform for my video ads, it wouldn't be the place I'd turn. And, and also, to be fair, there are other social media platforms that you could turn to, like TikTok, for example, where I think you know they're going to be much better suited to uh, to video, but certainly I don't think that that the, the the current way that we you know in the market that we spend around social media, I don't think that that makes a lot of sense in terms of uh, of video ads. Well, look, I think we've done enough Facebook counselling. They don't need too much of our help. But um, Vanessa and Toby, Toby mentioned before about um, broadcasters and, and and publishers needing to be match fit in the reporting and um, and sort of the results based stuff. Now, I think each of you have a view on this that that the tracking and reporting from the platforms is just simply better than what premium publishers and and, and broadcasters are doing. Is that a fair point? Uh, and and do we see a distortion in budget allocation because of the better reporting post campaign? Uh, Ness, maybe to you first. This one I think is, and I'll try and be as polite as I can here, um, I don't think it's better. I think it's easier. Um, and I think there's a very big difference between those two things. I think, you know, from a time where we're working harder than ever before, clients are stretched than ever before, you know, agencies are stretched than ever before. We're looking for an easy, you know, the, the industry is looking for an easy way to be able to report back up into CEOs and CFOs and the return of their investment. And I think the platforms make that easier. Do I think it's better? No, because I don't think that they're reporting on the right things. I think if, you know, if they started reporting on things like attention and viewability, we'd be uh, we'd be questioning their reporting, you know, an ad that is not seen or has no attention to it has no effect no matter what the report says. So do I think it's better? No. Do I think it's easier? Yes. Um, do I think that there is an opportunity for broadcasters and publishers to, you know, have some sort of, you know, unified reporting or, you know, standard report that makes it heaps easier for agencies? Absolutely. Um, you know, and it's maybe something that, that we can look at um, with feedback from the agencies. But I think there is um, a, a, it's it's a consistency and ease of reporting across those platforms that probably does that Does easier. that, to any of you, does that ease of reporting, let's not go better, let's go with Vanessa's take on ease of reporting, um, does that ease influence budget allocation uh, and you could put it another way because I'm a journo, distort the market because it sounds far more, you know, disturbing, doesn't it, when you've got distortion. Toby? Yeah, it, it, it does, but that's, you know, budget should follow results and outcomes. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that premise, Paul, in that in, in a boardroom, if you can um, link back the performance of a campaign to a particular channel and you can do that and others can't, then the money should follow that. And, and what it should do is raise the bar, if you like, of all, all channels and all platforms being at a point where you can um, effectively um, portray the influence and the, the outcome that your channel's provided. So I'm up for that. And I think what we're moving towards, uh, certainly from a Foxtel perspective, is working with the likes of Agile, and working hard with platforms like KO to be able to provide those premium environments, but to also be able to show a level of attribution and tracking, whether that is in people have seen it in awareness or whether that is literally in sales. So we're, we're up for that discussion. We're catching up on that discussion. I think to Ness's point, that, that's very fair. 
but I think that should be the expectation of, of any CFO or marketer at a, at a boardroom because it rewards the ability for us to understand how the investment matters to brands. So I think it's an important point and may we all sort of rise to that occasion. I think there's also okay. an interesting point and probably for an entire another podcast, Paul, but I think coming up in the year that's ahead, we're going to have the biggest changes um, in from a technology perspective, from a tracking perspective, from a privacy perspective that Australia has ever seen. Um, and if, if, you know, the original statements are anything to go by, it's going to look harder than pretty much anywhere else in the world. Um, and so I would also... Um, suggest that there might be some variability in what has been reported from platforms before and what will be reported or the capability of reporting in the future. And I think that will be a, an, an interesting move on both ways, you know, maybe less reporting coming from the platforms and more coming from the publishers and broadcasters to level out that playing field. Well, uh, just a quick question to Toby. How long are you giving yourself, Toby, to be match fit on the reporting side of things? When when do we see you know, something coming from the industry or you from Foxtel on this? Yeah, well, speak on Foxtel's perspective, we've got trials running now and we'll be in market later this year talking about how we are um, able to provide a level of understanding of performance to brands. So you know, last year we announced Foxtest and we've got a number of trials running as we speak that brands are leaning into to um, to provide that that clarity pull. So, you know, we are absolutely focused on that. We know that's what marketers expect. And that's why this research time is, is, is beneficial to us because it doesn't just reinforce the role of attention. It actually talks to the the outcomes that marketers want to talk to as well. And if you combine them together and we land them in market this year, then to your point around stealing share or maintaining share or or introducing new customers to our platform, that's the prize for us and we're running pretty fast at it. Lindsay, quick question before we wrap up is, you know, does the ease of reporting, that the whole conversation we've talked about, that does the ease of reporting have any influence on your colleagues on the buy side for um, what they choose and what they feel comfortable in saying Recommending? I think to Toby's point, it just becomes down to how can you build that attribution between an impression and a, a result against your objective. So I think definitely that, that influences it if the reporting can have that capability to be able to deliver. But I don't think that that means that 100% of the budget is going to go there. Um, our clients are very much into testing, very much into innovation, and innovation doesn't necessarily always come with that capability. So where I think definitely there's a majority of spend going in that direction in terms of what can I prove is going to drive sales results, absolutely yes, but that's not where all of my budget is going. All right, and so the final question to all of you, it's actually your take uh, from all of you on this to wrap it up is, um, can this research and can the industry generally uh, change the conversation from lowest cost per thousand as the primary driver, driver for, for, for media buying and for media planning and um, efficacy, really? It's, you know, we talk about it so much. I've, I've covered this stuff for a billion years and we still we still talk about, you know, CPM as the driver and we'd like to move away from it, but we can't and we don't. Um, can this sort of research and the body of work that's coming through and where the industry is at now and its understanding on um, attention and, and advertising uh, minutes consumed and so forth, can we get away from lowest P CPM and should we? And let's start with the buy side first. So, Lindsay, all over to you. I am so excited for the day that we don't have to talk about a CPM. I'm not going to lie. Right. Um, moving digital away from performance into quality metrics, likes attention, it, it definitely becomes a good counterbalance to the likes of CPM because we can assess and we can understand the attention costs and then it becomes almost an, 
better definition for us of what an effective cost per thousand is. I think for my clients, especially, this becomes really important when they're pitching for budgets internally, having conversations with their CMOs and CFOs, putting a price tag on quality, helping justify why we're putting our dollars against certain media environments um, versus just a general cost per thousand. It really will help drive those conversations, make them easier and really showcase the quality of the marketing efforts that they're trying to do. Was that a hard task for you? It's, I, I get that you get it, but how do you go getting that over and communicating that with your client base? I think research like this helps. I think that taking on as much of this information as we possibly can and trying to adjust it and trying to learn from it. Um, I don't necessarily think we have it fully fleshed out, but I think we're getting there and the conversations are starting, which is really exciting. Toby, I imagine you definitely want to not, you know, take away or you'd like to get away from CPM as a as a as a baseline um, conversation. But do you think the industry can? Yeah, I, I feel we are starting to head in that direction, and I echo everything Lindsay said, and equally the passion and how she said it. Yes. And I feel what is this is a key ingredient, but I but I, I again echo my my comment earlier. We just need to make sure that we've got the the outcomes and the results. Now, whether that's mental availability, whether that's consideration, whether that's sales, I think we need to chase all those elements. But if we can just close the the conversation out where we can say that the attention, the availability equals better outcomes. And I think if we have that alongside this conversation, alongside the energy in the market, we will absolutely move forward. And I think those who don't follow that bluntly will be left behind and 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 i look forward to, to to being a part of that conversation Dwayne, do you agree do you sense the change you've been following um or working with the industry and and uh working on the industry for a long time cost has always been central do you share the optimism here about getting beyond the cost per thousand benchmark i think if if you're uh, an advertiser and if if it's about value I mean, presumably that's what drives the CPM idea. And if it's about value and now if you look at it and think, well, wait a minute, 98 percent of that spend was just waste. You know, what was the value of the CPM? <laughs> I know I'm very but I'm very I'd love to be wrong. But I yeah, how about the debate we've had about ad fraud and viewability and the resistance there and that, you know, it's like it's all logical. It all makes sense. I'm not countering that. But I, sometimes the industry doesn't work with common sense that it goes the other way. I, I think Ness raised a really good point earlier, which is, um, you know, it's all very complex. I mean, if you want to grapple with what's going on, you know, and, and, and what you need to plan for, it's very complex and people want easy. And CPM is easy. It just doesn't mean that you're necessarily getting good value. And so that's that's really where we need to move, you know, the and I think where we are moving the conversation. I think conversations like this at least get the idea around that it's a little bit more complicated than, <laughs> than we, yeah. we, we pretend. Yes, and we have to be a little bit more sophisticated um, as, a, as a body of people. Um, Vanessa Hunt, final thoughts from you. Um, you know, um, CPM is easy, uh, Dwayne says. It could be a tagline for something, but it sounds like it's positive when it's actually the opposite. But anyway, um, your final thoughts. Can we get past CPM and cost? We have to. I don't think it's an option of can we. I think we have to. You know, if you if you assume that everything is a common denominator, right, then you don't allow for any quality to or any quality of conversation or any quality of impression to come into that equation. So, for example, there's a very big difference between a thousand Corollas and a thousand Ferraris. And if all you care about is a thousand cars, 
then you're not actually worried about what the car is doing. And I think if we think about it as simply as that, we don't have an option but to change. Do I think the industry is capable of that? Yes, absolutely. We've seen it happen before with other areas, and this is a great place, as Dwayne said, to start the conversation. But there's a famous line from Socrates, and I'm going to absolutely butcher it because I don't have it in front of me, but it is, mm. I can't um, make you, I can't educate you, but I can only ask you to think. And I think my call out to the industry is we have to start thinking differently about the quality of those impressions and what we're buying. So even if we're using CPM as a trading metric, as far as that's what, you know, the end point is we're trading on thousands because there's nothing else right now to Lindsay's point to trade on from an attention metric, then at least put the information in the beginning of the planning cycle to understand that those impressions that you are buying are different. And I think that's, you know, the only, my big call out to the industry is think about what you're doing and what information that, you know, you're taking for granted when it gets spit out in a report and it says, geez, your media worked. Um, and you go, geez, how could it have? Um, and start to question those a little more, you know, clients questioning agencies, agency questioning partners, I think is um, a smart place to start. Because, uh, you know, we might not have all the answers yet, but we know the broken bits. And I think that's a you know, we're a lot further ahead. One final, final curly question is to Vanessa and Lindsay is who's more hooked on CPM and lowest cost, agency buyers or marketers? <laughs> I could probably answer that from, from my perspective, my historical perspective, um, which is neither. It's the p- procurement at clients. <laughs> it's actually neither of those things. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I've been out of agency for, for over a year now. So, you know, maybe it's changed in the last 12 months. But a lot of um, procurement divisions with inside uh, clients are really worried on those things and so much so that they're benchmarked. You know, you'll get to an end of a campaign and you'll be asked for your average CPM across it to go back to to a finance department somewhere. So, you know, my my thought process is maybe we need to train some of the procurement departments. Yes. Okay, Lindsay, can I ask you uh, that, uh, that awkward question for a non-awkward answer? I agree. Um, and anybody doing media, media auditing, ubiquity, that's that's the one that probably carries the most for me. So my, the point there, I was actually going to go there, actually, which is, um, but that's the where you say it's procurement, but often it's the marketers that are commissioning um, the audit pools and are benchmarking uh, those audit pools, benchmarking agencies on performance and media owners on performance. That doesn't sound like performance. That's the marketers driving that and looking that for looking that looking to. You know, maybe maybe use a big club. So, have I got that wrong, Toby? Maybe you got thought you've been on both sides. I think it's an excellent point, and there's no doubt that a you know a marketer's in his or her role for two to three years. They've got cost savings to make, and they use that as a stick to push back and manage bit media budget or agency cost. And that's just a reflection of the pressure they're under and and the demands of their role. And that, that's a broad statement, but but I think there's an element of that playing out. But I agree with Lindsay's point there that there are. There needs to be an evolution and maybe the next podcast, Paul, is having the likes of Ubiquity and, and Matter Clarity as part of this discussion to help us understand how we move it forward. Because if we, if we do and they don't, we'll be having this conversation in 12 months' time because you can't ignore the shadow that they cast across the market. Dr. Dwayne Varan, CEO of Media Science, Vanessa Hunt, Think Premium Digital, Lindsay Mogridge. Mediacom, Toby Dewar, Foxtel Media. Great conversation. Um, and as you say, let's hope that um, it has some sort of impact and starts shifting thinking to start with. Um, stay safe. And uh, for the next podcast on media auditing, Ooh, super exciting. Thanks, guys. Thank you. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. 
For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.